Well, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 13 once again as we continue to work our way through the book of Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 13, we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 12 this morning. And I've kind of entitled the message, A Battle for the Soul. And uh, it's amazing. You know, in this next text of Scripture, we see a couple of very important principles that, if applied, can help us live victoriously for God. Uh, You know, in our hearts, I think all of us want that, right? We want God to be glorified. We want Him, you know, to to be on the throne of our our lives. and, And yet our flesh gets in the way, as I just prayed. But if we apply these principles, God really can do an amazing work through us. And so first, we see that life, apart from being filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit, can be very confusing, right? You know, how do you make decisions without the Holy Spirit working in and through us? How do we respond right to circumstances of life without the Holy Spirit working in and through us, right? Apart from the Holy Spirit, I get angry. Apart from the Holy Spirit, I make rash decisions. Apart from the Holy Spirit, I want to get even when people say something, right? Our flesh will dominate unless we allow the Holy Spirit to be working in and through us. So life can be very confusing. But secondly, there's a battle for the souls of mankind that we must engage in constantly. I think we have this idea often that, well, we don't deal with the spirit world. Oh, brother, if you don't think that there's something going on in the spirit world, you're blind. There is something really taking place. And I thought to myself many times over the last several years, as I was preaching through the first half of the book of Mark, almost every other third passage, Jesus is dealing with demons, right? I mean, he's casting out demons. I'm like, did it just stop? I mean, it's just like all of a sudden we're in, we're in 2023 and we don't deal with that anymore. We act like it's not a problem, but it is a problem. And it's an amazing thing to consider because God word, God's word gives us the antidote for the problem that is in this world. And so I believe that there is a battle for the souls of mankind. And we've seen just a small snippet of this in Acts chapter 13. And so as we get into this, before we get into our text, and uh, I want you to keep your passage open to Acts 13. I'm just going to share a few scriptures with you that maybe ought to cause us to think about some of the things that we're going to be dealing with in detail as we get into the passage. But the first one I want you to think about is 1 Peter 5.8. It's a familiar passage. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about roaring li- as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now here's the reality. Satan is not omnipresent, and he's not omnipotent. Those are characteristics and character traits that are reserved for God himself, right? The devil is not omnipresent. However, the God's word does tell us and remind us that a third of the hosts of the heaven, of angels of heaven were what? They were cast out with who? Without Satan. And as a result, there are demons in this world. There are, you know, Satan has his minions that will attack, and they want nothing more than to distract us and to get us to live in sin and to avoid being holy and righteous altogether, and that's their job. And in fact, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 reminds us to put on the whole armor of God that we may withstand against the what? The wiles of the devil. Some of your translation may say the fiery darts of the wicked. That's a reality. And God reminds us what the antidote is. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, it says, give no place to the devil. I mean, don't open the door for it. <coughs> um, it's interesting. One of my children uh, let me look at a book that someone gave him. And as I was looking at it, here's a man who practices doing exorcisms. He's a Catholic priest, and he goes into different places and does these things where he apparently 
kick demons out of the place. But he said one of the things that has brought this on, and I don't know how far to go into all that stuff, and I'm not going to promote any of it. But the reality is, he said, with with the uh, with the current status of teenagers and young adults playing with Ouija boards, tarot cards, and trying to you know get a hold of the dead, it has opened up a door of all kinds of problems that they don't know how to fix once they once they cause it. And he said, this is an issue that is happening all over America. Now, that's not in our little sphere of influence, so we don't kind of deal with those people in our church setting. But it's amazing how much that this is a problem in his mind because of everybody playing with demonology. I'm just telling you, I ain't going to flirt with that. I'm not going to open the door for it. A Ouija board is not coming into my house. Tarot cards will have nothing to do with my family. I'm not opening that door and taking a step in that direction for any reason. I'll take someone else's word that it's real. I believe that it's real. God's word says it's real. I'm not opening the door for it. But the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, Whose mind, the minds, the God of this age has what? Blinded. Who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. There are those who are blinded to the reality that Satan does not want you to turn to Christ. And we're going to see that in just a moment. In 1 John 5, verse 19, it says, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the what? Wicked one. He, in other words, God's word says that there is an, uh, uh, an appeal, there is a, a presence that is trying to squirrel, you know, make us look away and to be distracted from what God has for us. And if we're not careful, we'll give in to it. But here's what we need to remember. James chapter 4, verse 7 says what? Resist the devil and he will what? Flee. In other words, it doesn't say he might turn around and go. God's word says if you resist, he will flee. And our minds need to be made up that we are not going to give in to what the devil wants for our lives. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. We get this idea that it's that coworker that's irritating us. We get this idea that it's the supervisor that's you know, down our throats. We get the idea it's our relative who doesn't go to church. Our, our war is not against flesh and blood. Do you realize that our enemy is, the, is who? It's not our blood, flesh and blood. It's not our brother or sister. The enemy is who? Satan and his minions. The reality is we, our flesh and blood is, is real, yes, but it's against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And let me ask you the question. Is heavenly places a real thing? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? I think when it says heavenly places, it's a what? It's a good thing. And yet, even in good things, where does it say the devil's at work? Right there. Even, think about this. How many of you have ever heard of churches splitting? Is church a good thing? Relatively speaking? Yeah. I mean, who doesn't think a church is a good I mean, if they're teaching and preaching the truth, that's a good thing. But the reality, there are churches that split and close their doors over selfishness and pride and arrogance and the lust of the flesh every day in America. Devil's at work. Because I've been saying it for years, wherever God is at work and wherever God is challenging us, 
to grow and to become more like him, Satan is not going to let that go unchallenged. And so the reality is that we got to stand up for what we believe and to, and, and, and to really put our heart into it. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 15, it says, For some have already turned aside from Satan. Thanks, brother. They've already turned aside. You realize that there are those all around us who are just saying, well, what's the use? Why even fight it? Why even stand up for what we know is right? I mean, everything, every time we do something, someone's arguing, somebody's fighting, somebody's griping. Why even? That's 1 Timothy 5.15. For some have already turned aside after Satan. Well, why bother? Why bother? Because God is on the throne. And because God has something more for us. And you have to believe it, and you have to stand up for it, and you have to know it's truth. Because there is there is a battle raging that is real, and if you're not prepared to fight, you will only not only lose the battle, but you'll lose the war. You'll not only lose the battle, but you'll lose the war. You know, there's things from from time to time that get us distracted. There are things from time to time that get us down in our anxiousness or our, our frustrations. And you know, there's days that we go by and say, "Oh, I didn't do very good today." But I'm telling you, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm in it to win the war. Amen? So, let's get back to our text. And as you're turning to Acts chapter 13, uh, we, if we're to walk in victory, we must walk in and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me read the text, and then we'll kind of start breaking it down here. In, in Acts 13, beginning verse 4. It says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. From there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now when they had gone through the island to Paphos, or Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man, this man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for his name is also translated, withstood them seeking to the, turn the proconsul away from the faith. Think about that just for a moment. Here's this guy. He has this title, proconsul. I'm not sure all. He has a place of authority, a place of leadership. And Elymas, or Bar-Jesus being translated, is a sorcerer, and he knows that God is working in his heart, he's working in his life, and he's doing everything he can to turn him away from the faith. I mean, there's a battle for his soul here. So, then Saul, verse 9, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O fool of all deceit and of all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord and now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you. And that's not a good thing, by the way. He's not saying that God's hand is going to bless you. You're now going to face God's wrath. It's a fist. Hand, but it's a fist. And he says, You shall be blind and not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately the dark, a dark mist fell on him. And he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the, then the proconsul believed when he saw what he had been done being as astonished at the teaching of the Lord. They went to Seleucia. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about that first phrase in this beginning text. They went out, being sent out by the Holy Spirit. So they went to Seleucia, then on to Cyprus. Just maybe a humorous question, but just something to consider. Why didn't they go somewhere else? I mean, why not? I mean, 
I mean, it was clear as to where they were to go, but in their flesh they might have gone to Jerusalem or maybe back to Antioch or, or somewhere else. But God's word is clear. They were led by the Holy Spirit to go there. Why not somewhere else? Because God, through his Holy Spirit, was leading them where to go. And I just have to imagine in my own mind that if the Holy Spirit was able to lead these guys in what their next step should be, God will also lead us as his children as to what our next step should be. Amen? You have to believe that. If not, we're just going to nebulously go anywhere we want to go. Whatever our flesh desires, go there, give in, do whatever. It doesn't really matter. But what we do does matter to God because where we go, God has a plan to be at work there. And we see that here. And so in their flesh, they might have gone somewhere else, maybe to Jerusalem, maybe back to Antioch, maybe back home. I don't know. But instead, they chose to go to Seleucia, then on to Cyprus. And the following verses tells us where else they went. Here's what I know. <laughs> in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, it says this. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So here's the idea. You're either going to be controlled by the Spirit or your flesh one or the other you can't follow both at the same time and he says if you walk in the spirit you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the lust of the flesh is against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one one to another so that you do not do the things that you wish so what's he saying here he says paul was telling us there is a battle that is raging in between the spirit and the flesh and they can't go hand in hand they can't walk together in agreement and one or the other is going to win and so we have to be filled with the spirit if we're going to overcome the flesh and then he says in verse 18 but if you are led by the spirit you're not under the law so what's he saying here he says if you walk according to the spirit you actually walk in freedom You'll have more freedom walking in the Spirit than you will walking in the flesh. Some people have this idea that if I become a Christian, if I submit to God, then I can't do this anymore, and I can't do this anymore, and I can't go here, and I can't do that. There's all these rules and regulations. And I've yet to find out that I don't believe that God has given us a rule and regulation. He allows us into a relationship with Him so that we can walk in fellowship with Him. I've said it a thousand times, I'll say it a thousand times more in my next years here as a pastor, is that I should have gotten a marriage manual when I got married. I'm telling you, I was so young and dumb and stupid that somebody should have given me the book. But because I didn't get the book, I've had to learn through trial and error, and more trial and error than probably good if you ask my wife. I mean, she has put up with a lot over the years. But here's what I know. The longer I'm in a relationship with her, it's not about rules and regulations. I mean, we could have this rule that as soon as Ken walks in the door, at the end of the day, he must put his clothes in the hamper. Check. <laughs> if he's going to take a shirt out, he needs to iron it. Check. No. I could have all these rules and regulations, but if that's all they are, that's not a relationship. That's a list of do's and don'ts. And I don't know about you, but none of us are able to keep all the do's and don'ts perfectly. And when you don't, what's it cause? More frustration, more anguish, more anxiety, more trouble. But here's what I've learned. The longer I'm in a relationship with my wife, the more I realize what pleases her. And I know that if I 
put my clothes in a hamper, it's a help, not a hindrance. I know that if I hang up my clothes, it's a help, not a hindrance. I know that if she asks me to put something in the sink, it's a help, not a hindrance. So it's not out of duty or demand. It's out of desire to bless. It's the same thing with my relationship with God. Say, well, you can't do this. No, no, no. That's not the point of what I can't do. In fact, God's Word reminds us in 1 Corinthians, it says, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. He says there's even things that are lawful for you to do, but they're not expedient, or what's that word mean? Beneficial. You can do it if you want, but it's not beneficial. It, it's like the speed limit says 75 going across Kansas. I wish we had that speed limit here. But I love the seeing that sign. I'm up there, sweet Jesus, this is awesome. 75 mile an hour. Oh, but wait a minute. There's a rainstorm. Well, it's lawful for me to go 75 because there's the sign. says I can do it. But is it beneficial? Not always. The longer I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ as my Heavenly Father, I realize that things may be lawful for me to do. May not be beneficial, though. May not be good for me to do it. Relationship, folks. Not duty, not demand, but desire to please. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all things that I said to you. Why? So that we can walk in fellowship with Him. So that we can be obedient and righteous and holy in our walk with Jesus Christ. He says, I'm not just nebulously sending out all these rules and regulations. And by the way, if you miss it, oh, God, oh, you, you, oh, you did it again. You know, he's not like that, is he? The reality is he loves us so much that he says, I am going to give you the ability to walk in fellowship with me with the help of the Holy Spirit. And that's the same Holy Spirit that in Acts chapter 13, verse 4, was leading these men as they went out to serve Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered or suffered. He says, I have given you the Holy Spirit to help even in your weakness. I don't know about you, but I've got weaknesses. I'm not strong in every area. My flesh reminds me every day how weak I am. Go through a couple major surgeries and it's like, wow, you realize how weak you are. But what did Paul say? When I am weak, then I am strong. But where does that dependence come from? The Holy Spirit. So how can we know if we're being led by the Spirit or by our own sinful flesh? You know, it says there in, our, in the text in, in Acts 13, 4, it says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? For my own life, how do I know whether I'm being led by the Spirit or my own, my own sinful flesh? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 just for a moment. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to see some uh, text here that's going to give us evidence as to whether or not we're walking in the flesh or being led by the Spirit. So what, what if it's our flesh? Well, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, do you know that God, if you're walking with the Holy Spirit, will never lead you into adultery, ever? 
nor fornication, people who give in to sexual sins outside of marriage, whether it be magazines or online computers or phones or however it is that you're choosing to do it. And the statistics are outrageously high, just in case you didn't know. Well, I assume that some of you are involved. Absolutely. I remember hearing a statistic when I was a youth pastor that said, uh, I think it was three out of five or something ridiculously high number of teenage girls will have been molested before the age of 18. And I looked at all the kids in my youth group and I said, no, not, not, not in my youth group. I know these people. After a few years, guess what? Statistics were true. So do I believe it's taking place in our own congregation? Yes, I do. Because statistics don't lie. They're real. But works of the flesh are adultery, fornication. That's sexual sins outside of marriage. Uncleanness. You can imagine what that is. Lewdness. Idolatry. Oh, come on, Pastor Ken. We don't have idols in our home. We don't have a room set aside to the gods that we love. Uh, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Because what is the definition of an idol? Anything that we give more time, attention, and affection to has the opportunity or the possibility of being an idol in your life. What gets more attention in your life than God? What gets more attention in your life than Bible reading and prayer? What gets more attention in your life than, say, sharing the gospel and being a witness see those are the things that have the potential of being idols in your life and if idolatry is in our life we're walking according to the flesh not the spirit sorcery hatred question do you hate anyone is there anyone that you just can't stand that's being controlled by the flesh rather than the spirit ouch that hurts contention don't like what your boss is doing at work. Don't like how your coworker messes everything up for you. Leads to a contentious relationship. Jealousy. Well, why does he get a raise? I work harder than them. Why does he have a new car? Man, I, I, I can't seem to get ahead. And they, they got a brand new car. Praise God. But if there's jealousy in your life, you're being led by the flesh, not the spirit. Outbursts of wrath, that's just unfounded anger. That's living in the flesh. How about selfish ambitions? Ouch. Ugh, these things like really prick hard, don't they? Dissension? There's no dissension in my family. Our relatives are on us are perfect. Right. I believe you, and I got some land to sell you in Arizona. I think there's a song there. Heresies. Envy murderers, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's being led by the flesh. How do I know I'm being led by the flesh? Are these things evident in your life? But then he says there's things that mark being led by the Spirit as well. And those are in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, when the Spirit is alive and well within me, the fruit of the Spirit, and remember, it's not just one or the other. 
fruit is together, all of it. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Think about it for a moment. Are these characteristics in your life, do they identify who you are? Would your neighbor say that you are a person of love? Would your children who know you better than anybody, and your spouse, who knows all your inconsistencies, say that your life is marked by joy, peace, long-suffering, or patience? Oh, shoot. Did you see? I, I was doing pretty good until I got to that patient thing. Oh, my goodness. Here's the thing. Your life is going to be validated by one side or the other. I'm not saying you have to be perfect. Lord knows we'd all fail. Two hands and a foot, starting with me. I will fail because I cannot be perfect in these things. But because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, because of the Holy Spirit's working within me, I know that I can walk in victory. I've asked this question to our men. Would God give us a command and not give us the wherewithal to carry out that command? No. If God is going to direct us and lead us and give us a command to obey, he's going to give us the ability to do it. So when he says in 1 Peter, be holy as I am holy, is that something that you can never accomplish? No. With the help of the Spirit, you can be holy. You can be righteous, but you can't do it being led by the flesh. Why is it important to be led by the Holy Spirit? You see, we just took that one little phrase from Acts 13, 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, being led, because it's a huge issue in our lives. What marks how we live? What marks whether or not we'll have an impact to a dying and lost world around us is how we live. So what's the importance of being led by the Holy Spirit? Being led by the Holy Spirit brings validation to who owns us. What's it say in Romans 8, 14 and 16? It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. He says the reality is, is if you're being led by the Spirit, it gives validation or proof that God owns you. Isn't that an awesome thing? And then he goes on to say, verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are what? The children of God. He says, my spirit bears witness with his spirit that I am his. And when I walk with him, he walks with me and it just gives validation and proof that I am his child. And by the way, if you've ever made the profession of faith of putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and if you claim to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, guess what 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says? Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and what? You are not your own. So I can do whatever I want. Yeah, and you're being led by the flesh and not by the Spirit, and you're proving that maybe God doesn't own you. He says, you're not your own. Why? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. He says, you have a choice to make. You have a decision to make. He says, you're not your own. You were bought. And what was that purchase price? 
his blood. He says, you're not your own. And if we're not our own, why is it that we choose to live for the flesh? So many of us, I want my hands on what I can touch and feel. I want my eyes on what I can see. I want to grab what I can taste and smell. And it all screams I'm living for myself rather than for the one who gave me everything. So often we live this way rather than this way. It's all about the one, but too often it's about this one rather than that one. And it's a call to come back to walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. Do you realize this? Let me just give you a couple more verses. Galatians chapter 5, verse 18 says, you know, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Do you realize that walking in the Spirit, as I said earlier, brings freedom? Brings freedom. I have more freedom serving God and walking in fellowship with Him than if I didn't. People say, well, I don't want to be constricted. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. Right. Who enjoys authority? Anybody? Tell the Lord, give me some more authority because I just love people telling me what to do. Said no one ever. But he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. There is freedom walking with Jesus and being led by the Spirit. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and, you'll not, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Do you realize that walking in the Spirit will keep you from obeying the lusts of the flesh? So let me get back to our text here just for a moment. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they can do what God wants them to do in ministry because the Spirit is leading them. And remember, wherever God leads you, that's where He's going to do a work in and through you. So it matters because if God wants to do a work over here and He wants you to be a part of it, but you're too busy going this way, you're going to miss out on the blessings of being used of God and seeing what God would have done in and through you. Here's the example. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they are now able to do what God wants them to do. They went to Seleucia, Cyprus, Salamis, the island of Paphos. They preached the word of God, being led by the Holy Spirit. They had clarity as to where they should go and what they should do. And by the way, here's the interesting thing about Paphos. You know, so often we read about cities in the Bibles or villages in the Bibles or regions of the Bible, and we just go, okay, Seleucia, Cyprus, Salamis. Antioch. Do we ever really think about what was in those places, what those places were like? We're so quick to, if we're our reading of the Bible, to just go, let it pass right over us. Let me give you something interesting about Paphos that I learned this week. Paphos is the capital where the pagan goddess Venus had a temple and erected in her name in order to acquire enormous fame and great wealth. Imagine that. The entire temple was designed to give me fame and wealth. That's what the world says you need. The foul region dominated life at Paphos. Every woman of Cyprus was expected, listen to this, was expected to submit herself at least once in her life to the filthy service of the temple. It was expected every woman at least once to show your commitment to the false gods to offer your body in sacrifice to sexual sins 
at least once in your lifetime at Paphos. She had to take her place on the temple steps and offer herself in prostitution to any passing sailor or merchant. And the money earned had to be offered to the goddess. So she was to offer herself in sexual sin, and as they paid her, she couldn't even keep it. She had to give it to the goddess of the temple. This was the world God called Paul to evangelize. History teaches us that the pre uh, proconsul at Sergius Paulus despised the moral degradation into which the country had been dragged. But what was there to put in its place? There seems to be nothing to minister to the deepest needs of mankind. Can you imagine? God said, go to Paphos. It's a wicked, despicable, immoral place, and I want you to go there and I want you to preach. And Paul would say, nah, I want to go over here. You see, it's important to be led by the Spirit because only being led by the, only when you are being led by the Spirit will you be where God wants you to be and be able to do what God wants you to do. Paul went over here and preached the Word because that's what God was wanting him to do. And he knew that because he was led by the Spirit. Things aren't always easy, though, right? Even though they were being led by the Holy Spirit, Satan was hard at work against the work of God. So the first thing I want you to bring out from this passage is that it's important to be led by the Holy Spirit. And number two, Satan is at, in a battle waging for the souls of mankind. We see that here in our text. If you would look at me in verses uh, um, 6 through 8. So it says, Now when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. He has an interest. He does not like what's going on in Paphos where he is the proconsul. He wants something different. And he calls for Barnabas, who we know from Scripture is an encourager. Remember that about him? He was always looking to see who he could help. He was willing to sacrifice his own possessions to give to the needs of others. Barnabas was an encourager. Paul was a preacher. And he calls for these two men to come preach where he's at. He's got a desire to know about this God. So don't think for a moment that even though they are being led by the, by the Spirit, that Satan is hard at work. So look at verse 8. But Elymas, the sorcerer, Bar-Jesus, for so his name is translated, withstood them seeking to turn the proconsul away from what? The faith. Do you realize that the devil is at work? His minions are at work. They're trying to distract and turn people away from the faith. That's real. And it's happening all around us. If you don't believe that, you're not looking with your eyes. Satan is at work. And he is at hard work trying to turn Sergius Paulus away from the faith. Then Saul, <laughs> let me back up. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. What a truth. It says, for a great and effective door has opened to me. Stop right there. Just for a moment, think about this. Paul because he's being led by the Spirit, 
ends up going to Paphos, this wicked, immoral, degraded place, he's got a door of opportunity open to him, right? 1 Corinthians 16.9, For a great and effective door has opened to me. And what's he say? And there are many adversaries. What does that remind us of? What does that teach us? That you can be faithfully walking with Jesus, but the adversary is still going to fight. He's always going to be there. And you have a choice. You can give in, or you can stand against. Elmas was doing everything in his might to make sure that Sergius Paulus did not turn to faith. But remember, when you are filled with and led by the Holy Spirit, you will have everything you need to fight against the devil and his fallen angels. So notice what Paul did, verses 9 through 11. Talk about having some boldness here. Verse 9 says, Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. He couldn't do it in his flesh. He couldn't do it apart from God, because God's Word reminds us, apart from me you can do nothing. So with the help of the Holy Spirit, he looked intently at him. It wasn't just like, hey guys, come on, come on, come on, sir, just don't listen to him. Come on. He looks at the sorcerer dead center, looks him straight in the eye intently, and they says, I'm sorry, but I need him right now. Can you come with me? <laughs> That's not what he did, right? He said, oh, full of this all deceit and all fraud. I mean, he looks right at him and says, you're a deceitful man. You're a fraud. You son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you. And as I said, this is not God's hand of blessing. He says, you are facing the wrath of God now because you are trying your dead level best to turn him away from the faith because you will suffer consequences. And he looks right at him. And it says, you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. How many of us would have that boldness? Oh, you're going to be blind in about three seconds. Yeah, right. Who of us would even dare? Well, first of all, you better be listening to the Holy Spirit to do that. Because if Paul wasn't listening and he said you're going to be blind, Paul would have been looked like, looked like the fake. But God used him. He had all the holy boldness he needed through the Holy Spirit to confront the evil one. And guess what happened? He went blind. Imagine that. What he said was going to happen, happened because the Holy Spirit was working through him. And he went blind. And here's this sorcerer. It says, then immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. I mean, this guy went from being thinking he was somebody to begging anybody to help him. Talk about a change. He looked Elmas intently in his eyes and spoke boldly against him. But Paul's boldness had great effect. Two things. Number one, Elmas, or Bar-Jesus, was blinded. And left looking for help. 
I think that's a big part of James 4.17. Resist the devil and he will flee. He has to. If you don't give in to it, you don't accept it, you're not going to let him into your life, you're not going to let him get a foothold in the door of your life, he has to flee. But you better stand up. Because if you don't, you're not only going to lose the battle, you're going to lose the war. Stand up. That's the first thing that happened when Paul stood up. Secondly, God's Word tells us in verse 12, then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Sergius Paulus turned to faith and believed and was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Here's what I can gather from this passage. Just practically speaking, because you know I'm, I'm more practical than theological because I'm not smart enough to get into all that stuff. But the reality is this. Number one, he realized he could do nothing apart from the Holy Spirit. And so he submitted to the Spirit's leading. He was led by the Spirit. He walked in the Spirit, was filled with the Spirit daily so that he could do what God wanted him to do. And number two, when you are doing what God wants you to do in the place that God wants you to do it, he will accomplish his will through you. Do you believe it was his desire for Sergius Paulus to turn to faith? Absolutely. But you have to know that in every step of obedience that God directs you, there will be likely opposition. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus, in all his infinite wisdom, says, get in the boat and go to the other side, was it a shock to him that they were going to face some angry waves in a storm? Don't you think Jesus knew that they are going to face that? Then why did he send them out? I mean, it would have been a whole lot easier if they didn't have to face it. Here's what I know. Here's what I believe. That God knows what's best for us. He doesn't make mistakes. And when he sent those disciples out to the other side, knowing that they're going to face some angry waves and a vicious storm, he knew it was going to be an opportunity for them to put their trust in Jesus and what he was doing. And I believe that every step of the way, when we're being led by the Spirit and God is directing us where to go and what to do, the opposition may likely be there, but it's an opportunity to see his hand at work in our lives. That's exactly what happened with Sergio Paulus. He didn't just say, oh, shoot, there's a battle going on. Which one's going to win? Hmm. Paul or the sorcerer? Hmm. Hmm. As he watched, he saw God's hand at work and says, I want to end on that. That's what God does. And I believe that's what God wants to do in and through our lives. If you'll let him. We know what God's word says. But how will we respond to it? You and God know that answer. Lord, I thank you for the example that we see in Acts 13. I thank you, dear Father, Lord, that we see the perfect example of being led by the Spirit and being led by the Spirit going exactly where you led them, doing exactly what you had them to do. And Lord, I pray that that would be characteristic of every one of us in this room this morning. Lord, that we would be so filled with the Spirit that we would go where you want us to go and do what you'd have us to do. But yet, Lord, we know that when we do that, there will be opposition, there will be struggle, there will be 
Lord, Satan or his minions fighting us and trying to distract us. But God, I pray that you give us strength. Help us not to give in. Help us to follow your Spirit's leading. Be filled so much with the Spirit, Lord, that nothing else matters. God, would you do that work in and through us? And Lord, as we are obedient, I pray, God, that we might see your hand at work as Paul did and seeing Sergius Paulus turn to faith in you because of what he observed. God, I pray that a watching world would see how we respond and turn their hearts towards you because of what we do. God, we cannot do that apart from you. We cannot do that in and of ourselves. But God, we know that with you, all things are possible. Your word tells us that. So God, we willingly, or at least I do this morning, and I pray that all of us would willingly submit our will to yours. Lord, that we would truly, honestly seek to be filled with the Spirit. To walk in obedience, holiness, righteousness, Lord. Help us to remove every distraction. Help us remove every excuse, every justification, every rationalization for not walking in obedience. And I pray, God, that you do a work in and through us that only you can do. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just ask for a moment as hopefully God's people are praying. Maybe this morning God's challenged you that maybe you need to be more led of the Spirit, more filled with the Spirit, more walking in obedience to the Spirit. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe that's your desire. And maybe as a result, God would use you mightily that He, within your presence, would do a great work. But maybe this morning God has convicted you, challenged you. You say, Pastor, pray for me. That's that's me. God's challenged me. God's convicted me this morning. Yes, yes. Yes, in the back, in the side, in the front. Anyone else say, Pastor, that's me. God's convicted me. I am not walking in the Spirit. I've not been filled with the Spirit. I've not been obedient to His leading. But God's challenged me this morning. He's convicted me. Pray for me. Anyone else with uplifted hands? Yes, yes, yes. Can I just challenge all of us who have raised our hand and our heart towards God this morning to just simply pray as we do each week. Take a moment right there where you're at and pray. God's Word tells us to him that knows to do right and doesn't do it, it's sin. So God, forgive me for living in the flesh. God, I repent of living in the flesh. I confess to you, Father, I've been doing too much of my own will, my own desire, my own flesh. Forgive me, please, Father. And God, help me be filled with you. Just talk with Jesus. Talk right now to the Father. And share your heart with Him. He knows it already. Just talk. And God's Word tells us that prayers of a righteous man or woman availeth much. When we open our heart to God and repent and confess, He hears and He'll answer. Maybe this morning we just need to take a moment and say, God, do a work that only You can do. Let's all stand to our feet. Lord,
Thank you for the work that you do in our lives. God, thank you for how you do lead and how you desire to be a part of everything that's going on in our lives. Lord, you desire for us to be submissive to you. And yet, Lord, we know that our flesh gets in the way. So, God, would you forgive us and help us, Father, to please you in all these things, Lord. Help us to follow Paul's example with boldness to confront Satan and his minions. Help us, dear Father, with boldness to stand up for truth and righteousness. But Lord, we know that we can only do it through your Spirit. Help us be, to be emptied of self. So Lord, work in our hearts and our lives this day. Help us all to see your presence, to sense your presence to walk in obedience, to see victory this week in these areas. And we'll praise you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.